0: Hello everyone welcome back to the show. My guest today is Axon Anderson. He's a father, businessman, speaker and an author. Many people think sales is just a bunch of sleazy manipulation tactics told by the people in suits. And well, in some cases it's true. But there are principles that make good salesmen, good parents and most importantly good people. And they are all connected. How can we influence people to do what we want them to do? How to go past gatekeepers in sales? Are we now in good times that create weak people? And how much of an influence our parents have on our lives and how much of an influence parents generally have on children? These and even more questions are answered in this podcast. Axen was an incredible guest, I think we really hit it off, and I hope you find our conversation as valuable as I did. Before we start, however, I just want to mention to you my newsletter. Would you mind getting a short email from me that is packed with goodies, value, and a bunch of cool stuff I recently learned? Easy to sign up, easy to cancel, and absolutely free. With a bonus of only 5 minutes of reading time. So, if you'd like to receive value for free, go to to slash newsletter. Again, that's to slash newsletter. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Axen Anderson. <laughs> Hi Exxon, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Okay. you me on. No, that's it. Okay, that's, well, let's get cracking with it. Could you explain to the audience what, um, what your business is? Well, you know, I really
1: enjoy presenting um, trainings to people and trying to inspire people and give people real-life business experience uh, about how to influence people for good. So, you could say my business is mainly uh, sales and speaking related.
0: OK. And what are the sort of pivotal moments in your life that pushed you into or to pursue this particular line of business?
1: Super good question. So, um, I was driving home on a weekend, and I just had a clear moment that I needed to speak. And um, it was just one of those moments where you just kind of know what you need to do. And uh, I didn't know how to do, I had done some sales, I'd sold some homes, um, I was a real estate agent. I went down to an, a speaker association somewhere close to where I lived and I talked to a, an experienced speaker and she said, well, what do you know? And I said, I know how to sell houses. And she said, well, why don't you go get a, a real estate continuing education class and see if you can uh, get some, some speaking going that way. And so I did. And, and uh, i been able to speak to a lot of real estate agents all over the United States um, and 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 many other groups as well. So great question. Thanks for asking.
0: Okay. And do you remember your sort of first speaking engagement, sort of first presentation?
1: <laughs> I think I called them up and I said, hey, um, I've got this real estate continuing education class. And it's an hour long. Will you pay me? for it and they said let's look at it they looked at it they said decided they'd pay me a hundred dollars for it I was thrilled (laughs) yep that was and uh, from there I decided to make you know longer class a three-hour class four-hour class six-hour class got it approved in multiple states and um, eventually there was a there was a very large online provider that decided also to become involved with uh trying to get that class because it was good it was a good class and they have several different I, I have multiple different titles for the content but it's basically pretty much the same content for the real estate agents and but yeah it was a hundred dollars that first class I was thrilled
0: I, I believe these are the, the most valuable hundred dollars you got <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it was fun to do anyway
0: yeah, I get that. And do you usually speak about sales or what sort of part of the real estate process?
1: Well, one of the things that I like to speak about is how do we how do we influence people for good? How do you influence people? Um, and we're not talking about manipulating people. You know, sometimes salespeople get a bad rap because yeah. some, some salespeople deserve it. Um, salespeople are often seen as being manipulative or pushy, dishonest. They'll say anything, you get a sale and um, I don't agree with that at all. I think that the, the better person you are, I think that if you're you you know if you're honest and you're trustworthy and uh, just do the right thing, you'll have way more success long-term and you don't need to be that dishonest, pushy salesperson. But yes, I do speak on sales and I've done a lot of sales. But the question is, how do we influence people for good? And that's what I, I am passionate about, talking about those things, both in business and in family situations
0: have you read the book how to win friends and influence people i have read that book
1: uh, many years ago i yeah. have w- lots of good things in that book um you know one of the be- one of the fun things to do if you if you want to try one of the things that he suggests in that book that you could try in any situation is to learn people learn people's names yeah uh, because that's their do. favorite f- the- f-
0: in the whole world. <laughs>
1: yeah you you know if you're ever at a, at a any any social gathering, if you can learn people's names before they learn yours, and just start greeting them by their name, it won't be long before they know your name too.
0: That's true. I usually try to do this sort of reread of this book every year, because um, first time I read it, I was maybe 19, and I didn't fully understand it, and I thought it's just. Well, over exaggerating to, to just be nice different people but it's so much more in-depth when you look about it and look it in um, different perspectives right. and just try to implement this knowledge every day. And it really helps because I also work in sales and when um, you are just nice trying to help these people not just push to sell to get a commission um, it was much better experience for everyone involved.
1: That's right. And even more important, so you have these, you know, a lot of uh, the How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie was about specific techniques you could use. But even more important than the techniques, in my view, is to have um, to, number one, try to walk your talk. In other words, um, and nobody does this perfectly, but where you can you want to be a good example of what you're trying to do. In other words. if you're if you're saying all the right things, but you're still being dishonest, people don't trust you. Do you see what I'm saying? We need to have integrity, have a good thing, and then build the relationship, and then our words have power. So, I think we talked about this a little bit before. You know, there are principles in life that are that are, that govern our consequences. And let me, do you mind if I go into this for just a bit? Sure, Michael. So, a you know when I ask people what is a principle some people don't know exactly what I mean. Let me tell you what I think a principle is. A principle is something that's just there, that's really, really real, and it's real whether you believe it is or not. Let me give you an example. There's a scientific principle called gravity. Gravity works here where I'm at, it works where you're at, it works on the other side of the world, it works in every continent. In fact, gravity keeps the moon going around the earth, It keeps the earth going around the sun, Billions and billions of miles away, there are clusters of galaxies held together by gravity. It's everywhere. Now, when you come in contact with any principle, you have a couple of choices. You can either respect it and align with it, or you can be careless with it and ignore it. So sometimes I'll ask people this, I'll say, Hey, what, how could you align with gravity to say, make you money? Let me give you one idea. You know, I was in Vail, Colorado. Colorado is in the United States uh, with uh, people come from all over the state of Colorado, all over the United States, sometimes all over the world to come to Vail, Colorado. And what do they do when they get there? Well, they they ski. So they'll get to a, a hotel. They'll take a ski lift up uh, to the top of the hill, the top of the mountain. And then they have this thrilling experience pulled down by gravity. And so the people in Vail, Colorado, I mean, the businesses there, I think, make millions of dollars selling ski lift tickets to to people who want to ski. Well, they've aligned. Here's gravity. Gravity's just there. They've aligned with the principle of gravity, and they make millions of dollars using gravity. Uh, the, the thrill people get going down a mountain with gravity. So what happens, and, and I ask people, I say, how could you align with gravity? And I hear all kinds of things. People will say, well, you could do a ski resort. You could do a, a skydiving company. You could do a zip line. You could do a bungee jumping uh, outfit. You could do, sometimes people say funny things like plastic surgery. <laughs> um, but what, what would happen if you ignore gravity? If you ignore gravity, you could fall off a cliff and die, right? You could be injured. And so gravity's just there. If I respect it, I can make a million dollars with a ski resort. If I if I ignore it, I could fall off a cliff and be injured or die. Well, that's a scientific principle, but there are there are principles, Michael, in sales, there are principles in human relations, there are principles in families and in, in romantic relationships that are just as real as gravity, and we have a choice. We can align with them or we can ignore them. Okay? But those principles, see, if i understand one principle like if i really understand gravity i could come up with a hundred different ways to make money with gravity but if all i understand is the technique i might use it in the wrong time or the wrong way so because let me just put it this way principles control the consequences of our actions we can choose to do anything we want in life but we do not control the consequence what controls the consequence? Well, principles do? I can go to the edge of the cliff and say, I believe I can fly and jump off. And at that point, gravity takes over. So the, the question is, if I'm trying to influence somebody or I'm trying to make a sale or I'm trying to negotiate, what are the principles that are as real as gravity in human relations that I need to align with? And here's a hint. They're not the latest coaching program. They're not the latest book. They're not the latest social media, something other. They're ancient, they're timeless, just like gravity. And they're things like things we just talked about being honest, treating people like we want to be treated, being the first to to do something nice, which is kind of, I call it the golden rule. You know, treat people like, like provide value first. Yes.
0: So I got off on a tangent there, but that was a great question. You're asking a good question (laughs) about. Uh, that's I a great explanation because also, those principles not only in the sort of scientific uh, analogy to gravity, but also when you try to make money in one way, aligning with the principles of the law. Let's say you're paying taxes, you're being honest, um, you're earning this honest, clear money. Um, in this one sort of sense, you're aligning with the principle, or you just go and rob a bank, and well, there's the whole yeah. police department on you can i tell you what i
1: just since you said honesty too i want to just point one thing out here one time many years ago i was selling my job was to answer the phone for this website company that had hundreds of things for sale online and and i and by the way i was on straight commission so they weren't paying me any wage i i didn't make any money unless i sold something well i picked up the phone and this guy said uh i'm thinking about buying this one particular product from you and then he asked me a simple question he said Would you buy it from you guys and it kind of caught me off guard and here's the truth i knew on this one particular product that you could get it cheaper on amazon so here's honesty it's as real as gravity and i had a choice i could align with it or i could try to say something that would make him buy it but wasn't true but luckily i decided to align with it i said you know what don't buy it from us just go on amazon you'll get it cheaper on amazon now here's the interesting thing, Michael, he did not buy that from me. I did not make that sale, but by the end of the phone call, I made a huge sale of something else that I did feel good about. I mean, it was dozens of times bigger, massive. And I think the reason it happened is because he knew that I, he could trust me. So because I gave up one sale and just said, Hey, don't buy it from us, go on Amazon, buy it. He then decided to make a huge sale. that was huge. I mean, it was ma- massive. On something else that i did feel good about that we sold and um people understand if you're aligning with honesty if you're just being an honest person they get it um and that's
0: important and in this exact example you're also sort of um pointing the finger on you on your company that uh, well our product is not cheaper Uh, you can buy it somewhere else and this um, let me just point you the paint you the picture here Many companies, uh, when they sort of fail in something, they have this sort of uh, mashup of different failures. They forgot to deliver something. There was um, some sort of scandal. With the employees. They try. Um, a lot of them try to point the finger of the blame on different directions. Um, this was the management. This is the economy. That's the inflation going, and that's not on us. And this way, they are trying to put the f- sort of mm, the power on different sources, not on themselves. And they point the finger on themselves, it's, okay, guys, it's us. We just failed. Uh, We should have been prepared better. Um, This, in both ways, makes them more honest and also gives them all the power.
1: That's exactly right. When you can take responsibility and be honest and say, you know what? This is the truth. And even if it's because you made a mistake, right? Say, hey, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that um, or we weren't prepared or whatever it is. I'll tell you, people get that. And in the long term, your business goes way better than people who are trying to skirt that. It's such a foundational principle. That that trust, you know, we talk you talk about the the the, the ways to, you know, I kind of think of influence like a pyramid. If you think of it like a pyramid like this, the bottom of the pyramid is trust. They gotta trust you. And the way you do that is by walking your talk. The way you do that is by being honest, having integrity. Once you have that foundation, then the next step is to build the relationship, which is let's let people know that I really understand you and care about you. And then the top piece is what you actually say, it's, it's your 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 words. But you have to have these other pieces in place. I have to be able to trust that what trust that you're walking your talk, then I got to know that you really understand me and care about me, and then at the top is is your actual words. And sometimes some of the literature doesn't address that the bottom piece of the pyramid. They just say, well, we can just talk our way through anything. And I I, I disagree with it.
0: Exactly. And also, I think that goodwill compounds faster than money.
1: Right. Well, if you want to be successful, I, I got to tell you the other last thing here. There was one guy and this guy made millions and millions of dollars. He was a good guy. His mantra was, I said, tell me what you do. He goes, my mantra. He said, people can handle the truth. Just tell them the truth and tell it to them quickly. I always remember that. This guy was very, very successful. He said, people can handle the truth, tell them the truth and tell it to them quickly.
0: They do. And there's sort of um, it's kind of a different thing, but also relates to the honesty and being truthful and just saying everything out loud um, in the right, right moment at once. The sort of Machiavellian principle that um, when you need to deliver bad news, do it once, like the hardest that you can. um, spill everything out but if you want to deliver good news you can do it over a period of time
1: oh interesting
0: yeah okay so that's pretty interesting um this whole Machiavelli was pretty, pretty intelligent guy so that's one from him okay um when did you decide to write your first book say that last say that again Uh, when did you decide to write your first book
1: well you know I. Decided to write it shortly after I decided I wanted to become a speaker. Um, decided I needed to write a book. I had some experience in sales, and so I decided to write uh, a book about sales. And um, it was that first uh, first few years of when I decided I wanted to be a speaker.
0: Yeah, and the book is pretty extraordinary because. The majority of books on sales go into detail how you should be a great salesman how you should develop the mindset how you should do the script and all of that and your book just touches this point that a lot of salesmen struggle with it's just this the gatekeeper
1: right it was a very specific book right yeah it was it was uh if you're selling something to a business or an organization or a government or something Ah. and you need to get in to talk to the right people one of the things that often people struggle with is how do I talk to the right person? How do I get an appointment with the right person? And so it was specifically for that. And it was very, very nice. Um, it, it was interesting because I, I was able to, um, well there was a, there was a writer on Forbes who decided to write an article about it. And the reason she decided to do it, is she said, Hey, you use the tactics in your books to get into me. And she was very kind and, and did an article. Um, you know they're principled, honest, good tactics, they're not manipulative. How do you get in to an appointment with a high, you know she was a high level CEO um, kind of had a side uh, thing writing for Forbes, and she did an article on that, and that was very it helped
0: uh, helped me quite a bit. And also before the podcast, you told me a great story about how you got behind the gatekeeper. so um could you tell it again for everyone? Sure, yeah, I'll tell that. So these are
1: great, great, great questions. so uh well i'm gonna start at the bank i had this problem with my account at the bank Um, the problem was that i didn't put money in the account when i should have put money in the account and i was a little embarrassed and i went down to the bank and uh i I, this was many years ago i went to the bank and i said hey you know I've, i've overdrawn my account and there was a guy there was a gentleman there that we'll call jeff jeff was very helpful and very professional he helped me fix this problem with my account and when he was done i looked at jeff and i said hey jeff By the way he waived some of the fees which is really nice too he looked i looked at jeff and i said hey jeff can i get the email to your boss and he looked at me kind of funny like well why do you want the email to my boss and i said well i'm going to tell him what a great job you did i really appreciate your help and there was something about the way he reacted that i could tell this was not a normal thing for him but he gave me the email to his boss and i had his card so i had his email and i went home that night and i typed up an email that said something like this dear mr branch manager i had the opportunity of working with jeff He was very professional and helpful. I think he deserves a raise and a promotion. (laughs) Okay, and I sent it to his boss, and it was sincere. I was just really appreciative. He was very, he was very courteous. I was just, I just appreciated him, and I sent this email to his boss, and I copied Jeff on the email. So went to his boss, but Jeff also saw it, and I didn't think anything else about it. I mean, he was very kind and helped me waive some of the fees, and I, and I wrote this email anyway. Came back to the bank, probably uh, I want to say a week later or so, maybe several days later. I'm standing in line. There's probably around 10 people ahead of me in line. It was a pretty long line. Somebody came up to me and said, Mr. Anderson, now, I got to tell you, I don't live, this was in a fairly large city. Um, most people don't know each other's name. Somebody came up to me and this guy knew my name. And it was not Jeff and it was not the branch manager. But they came up and said, Mr. Anderson, can I help you with your banking? I was a little surprised and I said, well, sure. And he took me from the back of the line, and he let me do my banking in front of everybody else. And I always joke around. You would, you would have, you know, you you would have thought I had ten million dollars, which we all know that I didn't, right? Um, what well, happened again and again at this bank. Where I would walk in, and they'd say, "Can I help you with your banking?" and take me to the back, and let me take me to a desk, and let me do my banking in front of everybody else. Well, I'll ask people. You know, why do you think that happened? <laughs> Why do you think that happened? And, and I'll tell you what people say, Michael. People say, well, it's because you, uh, maybe Jeff told somebody on, on break or at lunch or something that I got a compliment from this guy. Maybe they wanted one too. I don't know. But if we table that story for just a second, we go on f- several years later, I'm sitting in New York. And I'm sitting across this high level director in New York. And this high-level director looks at me and he says, you are the only salesperson that I've ever let into my office. Now, to be fair, he may have meant about the particular product I was selling. But that's not what he said. He said, you're the only salesperson I've ever let into my office. And then he said something that was really kind of interesting. Um, and, I, and I'll and i ask the, your audience, what do you think I did to get in this this high-level director in New York? Well, was basically very similar to what happened with jeff at the bank years before what had happened is this i had sent an email to we'll call him bob this high level director let's we'll call him bob send an email to bob wanting to get into his uh, office he, he totally ignored me just didn't even he he didn't uh, no but no response i didn't get a response from anybody um called in a little while later to talk to his secretary and or excuse me i called in a little while to talk to him but his secretary picked up the phone and i said can i speak may i speak with bob and she said he's unavailable which is what they always say they're he's they're always unavailable and i just said you know maybe what i could do is just resend the email that i sent uh, a while ago i think it was you know last week or whatever it was and could i copy it to you to make sure he gets it and she said sure she said it in this really nice voice. I mean, I noticed we started talking a little bit. I noticed that she was very uh, friendly, very professional. Sometimes you can hear people just smiling. Have you ever been on the phone? You can hear them smiling. They yeah. kind of this friendly, bubbly way. And I noticed that. I just said, you know, thank you so much for. Uh, you know i talk to people all day long on the phone it's just refreshing to talk to someone who's as friendly and professional as you are thank you and she said thanks and uh i said you know what i'm going to mention that to your boss i typed really I, I typed really quick and i said hey dear bob i had the opportunity of speaking with janice she was very professional and helpful i think she's a an asset to your team by the way i'm going to be in new york on these days and i sent the e- email to Bob copied it to Janice and she's still on the phone with me at this point. And I just said, Hey, did that email come through? Okay. And she said, let me check. And she checked and she said, yes, it did. And then, um, there was a little pause there. And she said, Hey, thanks for the, thanks for the compliment. And I said, well, I meant it. Well, that was it conversation was uh, conversation over and, and fast forward, I'm back in front of this high-level director. He said, you're the only salesperson I've let into my office, and the reason you're here is because you were nice to my secretary. He said, I talk to my secretary more than I talk to my wife, and some of these uh, salespeople don't understand that. And I thought that was very, very interesting. So um, what really happened, Michael, is is people respond better to positive consequences than they do to negative. And people are hungry to be seen for what they do right. And if we can catch people doing something right, in fact, a psychologist would say, I know what you did. You did something called positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement is we water the behaviors we want to see grow with attention. So if you have a behavior which is like a seed and you water it with attention, um, that behavior gets stronger.
0: The famous pigeon study. (laughs) These are great questions, Michael. You're a great host. Uh, sure. well, thank you. Uh, we're just getting started, honestly. <laughs> okay. And um, what are some sort of unexpected lessons that you learned in sales that helped you in different areas of life? Well, I'll just back up the one I just told you about. Let me tell you this: this,
1: if you can think about behaviors like seeds, and attention like water, basically. When, when Jeff at the bank helped me solve my problem with my account, and waive some of the fees, he got some positive attention from his boss. Because of that, he may have told his, his friends at the bank. Same with Janice in New York. She got some positive attention for being friendly and courteous from her boss. And that strengthened that behavior. They were willing to do something nice back because I'd done something nice at the beginning, right? being a good um, that same that same principle can work in parenting it can work in families like let, let me give you an example it's the same exact principle it's like gravity I call it the golden rule you just treat people like you want to be treated but have you ever seen a parent the kid walks in and the parent says I can't believe you stayed out till 10 o'clock you stayed out way too late till two in the morning last night and you you, did, you got a, a bad grade on your math test and and you're not doing it what that parent's doing is they're, they're watering the behaviors they don't want to see grow with attention. And it's much, much more effective in parenting or business to water the behaviors you do want to see grow, not the ones you don't. So, you know, I have a daughter. She came and knocked on my door. She was she was six years old or seven years old. She came and knocked on my, on my door and said, hey, dad, surprise. I got up. I made my bed. I made my lunch. I'm ready to go to school. And... I had just learned about this principle of positive reinforcement, which is giving attention to things you want to grow. So I went to my wife in the closet and I said, hey, can we, let's give my, let's give our daughter a lot of attention on this. So we did, we just said, hey, you know, so proud of you look at you, you made your bed, you made your lunch, you got dressed, we didn't even have to help tell you to do it. And she, uh, guess what happened? Well, we baby. gave her a lot of attention. She did it again. <laughs> she did the behavior again. What would have been less effective is to wait till she sleeps in, doesn't make her bed, doesn't doesn't uh, make her lunch, and then storm into her room and say, I can't believe, how many times do I have to tell you to get up and do things? And that's what a lot of parents do, and they wonder why they get that same behavior again and again. It's because they're watering with attention. Catch your kids doing something right. In business, catch people doing something right. Catch them doing the behaviors you want. And it's really just... A, a spinoff of the, the principle that's as real as gravity called the golden
0: rule. So great question. I saw that on your LinkedIn, you um, studied psychology. So my question is, how do you leverage this sort of psychological principles um, in your approach to negotiation and influence and well, both in business and personal life? Such a good question. And, and, and one of the ones that we just answered there was just,
1: you're right. If, if you're in a negotiation or if you're in business and you're in a sale, how can I accentuate by giving attention to those exact principles we we're just talking about? When I'm try- when you're trying to make a sale, when you're trying to influence someone, whether it's a business person, whether it's a secretary trying to get past a gatekeeper, whether it's a, a child that you're a parent of, or a spouse in a relationship or, or a romantic relationship, they say it is much, much more effective to positively reinforce behavior than it is to try to punish or use an aversive negative process and so honey works better than vinegar um yeah use a positive catch people doing something right works in business and personal
0: and what are some common misconceptions about influence and negotiations that um that you often encounter and how do you address them
1: um just just kind of what we talked about before some some people think you have to be dishonest or manipulative to influence and you really don't you just need to be a good person it's not rocket science um you, some people want to have a script they want to tell you exact the, the exact words to say i disagree with that i think if you just are a good person people will be able to feel that you're trustworthy when i say good person i mean you're you're aligning with honesty you're aligning with the golden rule you're aligning with and and they'll know that they can do you do if you start off being manipulative or some script here's the other thing you ever been on the phone and somebody's trying to sell you something they're like hey and they sound like they're reading a script don't don't do that just it's okay to stumble over your words it's okay to not be perfect and that's okay
0: exactly um so you've written two books and uh, i'm sure that this developed your skill of storytelling and um How did did this impact your ability to influence and negotiate? Well,
1: you know, I'll tell you this. They say that when you tell a story, people remember it. They're up. In fact, there was some research, I believe it was out of Stanford, that said people remember stories up to 22 times more than they remember just facts and data alone. So when you tell a story. The chances that people will remember it go way, way up by, by like up to 22 times 2200% more. The other thing is they did some research I think it was out of Princeton that set, showed that when you are telling a story people's brainwaves actually start to mirror each other. So if, if you and I are if you're telling me a story and I'm listening perhaps our brainwaves are pretty similar because we're we're experiencing the same thing together. And I think that's a really powerful way to influence people is by telling people people uh, a, a, a obviously true, honest, impactful story.
0: And do you have any sort of example that you could share about how storytelling impacted um, sort of um, your negotiation speech or tactic or anything like that?
1: Oh, sure. You could tell. I mean, there's there's tons of things, you know, one time I was selling a house. Um, well, I was I, in my background. I've, I've sold a number of uh, I had a real, real estate background. Um, and so I would help people buy houses many years ago. And, uh, I remember this one gentleman came to me and said, Hey, I'm thinking about buying a house, but I don't think I can cause my credit's bad. And I had just had somebody tell me that same thing. And, and, and I told him the story. I said, you know, I had somebody tell me that exact same thing almost that you just said, and I was able to get him in front of a few different mortgage lenders. And one of them was able to get him a FHA loan and he's in a house. And, um, just me telling that story to him was enough for uh, him to say, well, yeah, let's try and, and go for it. So some, sometimes it doesn't have to be a big, long, uh, drawn out story. It could be just a, a story about how someone else um, was able to overcome the same objection. Um, it could be the story about how someone is able to um, maybe they made a better decision or a worse decision, but you can help, you can, you can illustrate what the best decision might be by telling a story right yeah
0: so i was selling in the company uh, almost a year ago uh in the script at the at the end of the sale when we had any some sort of objection um a lady just didn't want to buy our product we had um, this sort of um, little story that we had to tell to them that, um, well, Mrs. Sort of Smith, Ms. Smith, your story reminds me of uh, Mrs. Henderson, that I had a call a few few weeks ago. She also had the same problem, but with some sort of changed data, and the, she also felt this and that, sort of pointing her out what she is feeling, that she doesn't want to admit to us, but in a, on an example of someone else, but she decided to buy, and then she handled that problem, and now she's successful, yada, yada, yada.
1: As long as the story is true, if it's just a script and it's not true, I wouldn't tell it. Um, but if it is true, a story can be very powerful, yes. Um, and it's, it's a story that relates to people so that they can tell that you know what they're feeling and, and you can yeah. go through there. But I think it's uh, the main thing again is if, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna point this out again, the technique. So here's the deal. If you have to tell, if you have to choose between techniques, which are like scripts, which are like sales tactics or principles. So we have principles and techniques. The principle, like we started at the beginning here was gravity. The technique was, you know, start a ski resort or build a hydroelectric dam or have this. If I had to choose between the two, I would choose principles all day long, because if I really understand it, I can come up with techniques that align with it. But here's, let let me give you an example, Michael, let me just say this, I've heard some sales trainers, they say, if you can't get past the gatekeeper, which is a secretary, if you can't get past the secretary or gatekeeper, you should just pretend like you're kind of the big stuff and the CEO who you're trying to get to is kind of the big stuff. And the secretary is just a little bump on the log and then get kind of indignant and say, now who are you and what is your title? And I disagree with those those tactics completely, why? I'll tell you why, it's because it's like ignoring gravity. The golden rule, which is we treat people like we wanna be treated and being honest, it's as real as gravity in relationships. You don't have to believe me, but you don't have to believe me about gravity either. I mean, people can say, I don't believe in gravity. People can say, I don't believe you have to be honest. The problem is this, if you violate it, people are getting it more than you think, and you're losing trust. If you don't have trust, you don't have that bottom piece of the pyramid. So if, if there's ever a script or there's ever a sales trainer that tells you to do something that's dishonest, don't do it. I mean, plain and simple, just say, I'm not, I'm not saying that story, or if, unless it's real. If somebody says, I want you to say something that's not real, don't do it. Um, and there's a lot of sales trainers out there that will teach you, like this one sales trainer, he said, let's treat people not like we want to be treated. Let's let's act like we're a little indignant and say, now, who are you and what is your title? And act like we could just steamroll over them. Any tactic that goes against the golden rule in the long run is going to fail. So um, I just want to keep that in mind. Do what's right, no matter what your sales trainer tells you, no matter what your... Uh, because otherwise you're you're um, it's like flirting with the cliff. It's like would you rather have the gravity behind you pushing you on to success or would you rather have gravity making you fall off a cliff? And when you ignore stuff it's like it it it, it really harms people more than they realize.
0: Absolutely. I just want to clarify that the story was real.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no I'm sure. Okay. I wasn't saying it wasn't real. Okay. Sorry. And, okay, if that sure. Came the way. I'm
0: sure <laughs> no, there. absolutely. I um,
1: I've heard some sales trainers tell people to just make up stuff and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, but
0: uh, during the sales process, you acquire those stories to sp- because of selling to people, so... Oh, you, yes. you, you can say that and uh, I also have a, a funny example because my, my friend from that company um, he, was, uh, he was working there I believe three years or something, he was a really good salesman and he had this situation when a lady, because we were selling English courses to Polish people and he was selling to a mother of a child and she just had this doubt that it would be wasted money, wasted time and she was just scared to do that and she said I don't think that's the right time and he was just brutally honest and also used that honesty to actually make 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 the sale because he told her absolutely uh it is maybe not the great great time to start it may be uh, well money lost but when will be the good time to start well never <laughs> <laughs> the sooner the better they your son or your daughter learns the language the the better they'll well the better the situation in life will be and he was okay. just wow. Yeah. Well, that's true. Let's go with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so just just acknowledge the truth. Yeah. It probably isn't a good time, and it may never be. <laughs> that's
0: just true, right? <laughs> exactly. It may and, never be. Perfect. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the best way to learn storytelling? Um, you know,
1: for me personally, I had a really good, just an amazing coach. Um, She was very, very good at helping me learn how to do it. I'm not saying that's the best way. The the truth is there's probably some great books. Again, if you're intent on learning it, whether you learn it through um, some online course, there's probably a lot of great online courses, maybe some on YouTube or uh, other courses you can get, friends who are good at it. The truth is just being able to tell a story in a way that is, obviously true and honest, but doesn't give away the the punchline until you want it to. Um, but you might work with someone who's really good at helping people tell stories to That To me, for me, when I do it, I think it's good to work with somebody who can give you immediate feedback. You're like, I'm going to tell the story, tell me what you think, and they can say, well, I liked how you did this, but you were doing this wrong, you know. And, and you know, I, I had one coach tell me, she said, she said you said by the way 13 times and if you do it again i'm gonna flick you with a rubber band (laughs) you know um so just getting feedback and being willing to have people tell you hey you know that didn't come across very well and don't take it personally just
0: uh, keep going feedback's the main thing sounds true also just doing the thing you want to learn because you can read hundreds of books watch hundreds of hours of courses but my first hundred sales calls taught me more than all of them them yes yes doing (laughs) it
1: yeah just do it right (laughs) just do it
0: um international speaking engagements um how do you adapt your influence techniques to different cultural contexts
1: well you know that's a great question It's a great question. Um, Let me tell you one of the things that I wish I could do with you on this call. I wish I could speak your native tongue, because your native tongue is Polish, Polish, right? I had a a virtual uh, contact in in Denmark, and I have actually lived in Denmark. Lived in Denmark for a couple of years, and so I learned it. So being able to speak the language um, and show you made some effort, I, I think one of the things a lot of Americans do is they just go and and assume everyone will speak English. And, um, it means a lot to be able to go into a a place and learn some key phrases, you know, that show that you're trying to learn people's culture. You know, if you're in in Mexico for a little while that can say a few things in Spanish, um, I can say a lot of things in Danish, um, you know, but even, even just not, let's not even talk about speaking, let's just talk about being a good, you know. Let me give you one example. Um, I was in France many years ago. And I was told before I went to France that the people in Paris are super rude. That's what people told me. Well, I went to France and I and I, and I learned a few phrases. I just said, excusez-moi, je ne parle pas français. And I would say, you know, can you help me find something? And just being able to say, Excusez moi, je ne parle pas français. I got to tell you, I think people in France are the most polite people ever. They're amazing. I mean, they were so helpful. They helped. I had to remember this one gentleman walked me like five blocks to show me where this thing was. Super, super nice people in France. But I think it might also help to just be willing to say, um, so i should ask you how do you teach me some polish (laughs) teach me something so i can do it i'm trying to i need to block my talk here um okay what what do you want to learn how do you say excuse me how do you say how do you say blank in polish so if i want to say like how do you say and i could hold up a pencil
0: in polish how do i say that in pol in polish uh and okay explain it to me once again what if I wanted to
1: ask you how to say a pencil, okay, okay, like uh, I'm holding pencil the okay. what what, what, okay, what's so, the actual uh, How do I say?
0: Uh, you impulse? can just say, um, jak to się nazywa. How is this called? Say it one more time. Jak to się nazywa. Jak to
1: się nazywa. I hope I can say it. <laughs> say it one more time. Jak to
0: się nazywa. Jak to się nazywa.
1: To się nazywa. Did I say it right? Okay. Uh, what what but...
0: to Wha word by word. Yak. Yak? I can understand.
1: Hold on, hold on. Yak? Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yak. To. Sha. Sha. Nozeva.
1: Nozeva. Yeah. Yak Toshin nozova. Yeah.
0: That's
1: Yak yeah. Toshin Nozova. Is that right? Tak. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so so I should have done that beforehand to even <laughs> tr- so thank you. <laughs> sure, no jak, problem. Yak Toshin Nozova.
0: Yeah. And when you're in Poland and you will go to any bar and you say that you are from abroad, I'm f- sure they will um, teach you one the most famous uh, Polish swear word. <laughs> oh, okay. because it's just it's the most beautiful swear word in existence, in, in my opinion. All the English F words, I just like little kids. So, you need to learn this one word, and you will be considered Polish no matter what.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well.
0: Yeah so <laughs> that's pretty really cool okay now you know a little thing in Polish when, if you want to learn more <laughs> I can teach right. you okay and for someone uh, starting their journey in the world of influence negotiations what are the skills or mindsets that they should develop to, to be successful
1: I would say kind of what we talked about that the, the principle more important than the technique. Sometimes people get so hung up, they're like, well, I've got to say the words exactly right. No, you don't. You can mess up. You don't have to say it perfectly. Some people say, well, I have to follow this exact script. No, you don't. What people really need to know is that you're trustworthy and that you care about them. And if, you, if people know you're trustworthy and that you understand you took the time to care about them, you can do a lot of things in business and sales. And there's a 1,000 million ways to do that. Don't worry about the scripts. Don't worry about saying it perfectly. In fact, let me give you one example really quick here. If you, when I get on the phone to try to sell to a business, I do better if I don't use a script. And if I stumble over my words and mess up, it's better to mess up. So if you, if you go in and you say, hi, my name is X.A. Anderson, and I'm here to try to sell you something. And I'm reading from a script and you can tell I'm reading from a script and everybody can tell I'm reading from a script. But if I just get on the phone and I say, you know, I was, I just wondered, um, I think it was Susan that I was supposed to talk to last week. And and Bob said that Susan might be the right person. Um, I don't know if she's in procurement or if she's in, maybe she's in IT. I I mean, and, and I kind of, you see how I'm stumbling over my words. That is more effective than reading from a script. And so people get so hung up on the techniques that they forget the principle. The principle is be trustworthy and honest. Let people know that you really genuinely care about them and be the first to show them that. you can do a lot
0: that's what i would say exactly there's also one principle that i've heard a lot that you need to believe in the product that you're selling say that again i'm sorry that you need to believe in the product that you're selling yes if you don't believe in it go find a new job (laughs) i'm just telling you like if you can't if you
1: can't say that you really believe in the product then maybe it's time to go find something else yeah and i've been in those situations i've been in those situations where i thought i believed in it found out some things and i just had to leave
0: well i can also relate because uh, at the beginning of my sales journey in the company um i really believed in the product i thought it was cool i was selling to um to every every person possible um to the adults mostly but then the company changed their sort of uh, priorities and my division had to sell to the kids and these calls were just a mess for me because you had to sell both to the kid and the parent and do the sort of first lesson, I can say. And I was just really not there. It was not for me. And this is when I decided to leave. But before that, I thought the product was great. I could develop the sort of report with the client. And um, I had a great results as a salesman. <laughs> Good
1: for you. Yeah, great example. Love that. OK,
0: okay now let's get this sort of more personal side of things because in your bio the first thing that i saw was the information about you as a family man as a dad and all the business stuff came second so how do you structure your life to prioritize your family and still keep up with the business
1: well i think you just said it right super good question michael i think if you just literally say i i'm a business person because i want to support the main role of being a a husband and a father here's the here's the real truth michael it, even if you and i if you and i let's say that you and i start a huge business and it makes millions and millions of dollars um, in 10 years that business most likely will be bought it will be sold it will be disrupted it will be bankrupted or it will be irrelevant in a decade or two but the relationships I have with family, with parents or my children or my spouse, that stuff is gonna last so much longer. It's gonna last so, so much longer. Um, and so, um, the choices I make as a dad are gonna last way longer than the choices I make in my business. And so it's more important to be a good dad and it's more important to be a good husband and i'm not always i mean i try i may i mess up like everybody else you know i do a lot of things but uh when we make money our main aim um money if you think about it it's really nothing i mean yes people say well you can do stuff with it but um that's a whole other it's a whole other discussion but there's really nothing there it's like zeros and ones in the computer and the governments can inflate it when they want a lot of them and it's just it's it's a game it's a, it's a but the relationship that i have with people that really can influence people for a long time um and the choices i make can influence people for a long time so I mean, I could. I guess I could give. Let me give you one example. Um, my ancestry is from Sweden. A lot of it. Uh, some of it's from England. You know, we're all kind of over here in America. We're all kind of a mix. <laughs> That's different. Yeah. There was some Swedish. Um, <clears throat> you know, somebody back in my in my ancestry, hundreds of years ago, decided to get on a boat from Sweden and come to America. Well. That one choice affects me today. It affects uh, the language I speak. It affects uh, my economic opportunities and religion. It affects my education, all of that. And that's a pretty obvious one. But let me tell you this, much less obvious but still as strong is were they nice as a parent? That could be passed down for generations. Were they, um, were they drunk all the time? Were they angry? Were they kind? That kind of stuff can be passed down from generation to generation and still affects me today. Whereas, you know what? Do I know if they had the coolest horse or the coolest plow? <laughs> I don't nobody cares. And nobody's nobody's gonna care if if you make a lot of money or not a hundred years from now. Nobody care nobody will care. But they will care if you were good if you were good in your family. So it's more important. Thanks for asking.
0: That's powerful and what sort of advice would you give to people with children struggling with exactly that
1: i'd say it doesn't matter the money is not as important as, as that relationship you have with your kids you know there's so many so many good things that happen in homes where there's no money in fact the most poor home where you have a good family good parents can have way more influence than home where there's a lot of money and 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 people are checked out not doing the right thing i mean it's so much more important so if you're struggling thinking that your little things you do don't you know i'm going to tell you a story okay let me tell you one story my mom was a great mom um I got to tell you this, and maybe I don't have to tell you the whole story, but there was one time after a baseball game, a little league game, when I was young, she came home and she complained of having a severe headache. And she said it was uh, very severe. It wasn't wasn't normal for her to get headaches. My dad became concerned. But I got to tell you this. um, Let me back up a little bit. When I was young, I used to like to draw trees. I used to like to draw them with all the leaves, all the branches on them, um, even the little veins in the leaves. I went to school later and saw how the other children drew trees. And guess how they drew trees? It was just kind of two lines with a poofy cloud on top. Yeah. Well, fast forward a few years. I was at a little league game like I was just told you. My, we came home. My mom complained of this severe headache. My dad eventually decided he was going to take her to the hospital. My uncle happened to be visiting us at the time. And I went to my uncle and I said, is my mom going to die? He said, she's not going to die. She probably just has a migraine. I said, do you promise she's not going to die? He said, I promise she's not going to die. And I wanted to believe him. I went downstairs, climbed up on my bunk bed. And I started reading the book. I remember it was a book about squirrels. And um, anyway, I waited for my parents to get home. I waited, and they didn't get home. Well, the next morning, I climbed off my bunk bed. I was kind of anxious. I went to the door. I, I looked out of this Outside of my room, there was this kind of long family room, and on the other end of this family room, my I could see my dad. But there was something different. My mom was not there. Instead, there was a neighbor and a friend and another neighbor and another neighbor. It seemed like half the neighborhood was at our house. And as I approached, um, my dad, I could see he'd been crying; tears were on his cheeks. And as I got even closer, he kind of gathered the children together and he said words I'll never forget. He said. I think our mom is going to leave us. And I went into kind of a panic because I knew what that meant. My mom had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, which means a blood vessel in her brain had burst. She was now brain dead at the hospital, being kept alive by a life support system. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Two days later, we were at the hospital, and my mom had tubes coming out of her nose. There was nothing they could do, they, and they decided to take her off, this, uh, off the life support system. Well, I remember when she died, she kind of crinkled up and turned bluish, and I wanted to give her a kiss, but I was afraid to, so I kissed the air a couple inches and walked out. I got to tell you, Michael, my mom died that day, and as an eight-year-old boy, I watched my mom die. Now, here's the thing. How do you think I draw trees now? I think I draw them the way the kids would, The old. how do you think I draw them? Well, I draw them the way my mom would want me to. And my mom would want me to share things. I got to tell you, there was things my mom did decades ago that still profoundly affect me today. And so for any moms who's listening to your podcast right now, for any mom or dad who's wondering if they're, Having a, a real effect on their kids, I will tell you, your influence is more powerful than you can imagine. Like, you know, even though my mom died decades ago, there are still things she said and did that profoundly affect me
0: today. Wow, yeah, that's um, a very powerful story. So, thank you for sharing that. Uh, oh, I'm a yeah. I can't imagine how how it felt.
1: Well, there. I, I just. I, I. know it for a fact. I remember little things that she would say, just the fact that she wanted me to share, to be who I was and to draw trees the way I see them. Well, I'm sharing my heart with you right now, Michael. I mean, in effect, in this moment, I'm drawing trees the way I, I, I see them, just like my mom would want me to. So um, for any parents who are wondering, goodness. <laughs> you have more effect than you think
0: and i know that well, well i completely agree that parents are just the most important thing in children's lives and um if they are there and how they behave can impact their children for a long long time for their whole lives basically yeah. absolutely and on um, your second book, you also touch uh, on, upon the legacy you wish to leave. Uh, leave. Um, and what is the core message or value you have to impart on your children and your readers? Um,
1: one of them is that love is the answer to most of our problems. I mean, it sounds kind of oversimplistic, but here's the truth. You know, we're talking about influence. Or sales, or negotiation. The truth is, Michael, when people know that you care about them, that you love them, and I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about, like, being a, like you actually care about them in a charitable way, right? Yeah. That is the answer to negotiation. It's the answer to sales. It's the answer to having a good family life. It's a, it's the answer to to living a good life. is just really choosing to care about people. Um, And it's a choice. It's not a feeling, you know, on on the movies they wanna make it just like this, this feeling that comes in. It's not, so it's not true. Truth is, is that love is a choice to choose to care about something. Let me just give you one example um, that I heard Stephen Covey talk about. I'll give credit to Stephen Covey for this. He said, uh, there was a guy who came up to him after a conference and said, I don't love my wife anymore. And Stephen Covey looked at him and was kind of surprised. He looked at him and said, Well, then love her. And the guy goes, I don't think you heard me. I don't love her anymore. She doesn't love me anymore. We've fallen out of love and we have three kids and we're probably heading for a divorce. And it kind of concerns me. And Kevin and and Steve, excuse me, Stephen Covey looked at the guy and said, If you're not feeling it, that would be a good reason to love her. The guy looked at him and said, Well, how do you love someone you don't love? And Stephen Covey said, you know, you're acting like love is a feeling. Love isn't a feeling. It's a verb. It's an action work. But if you do the feeling, if you do the action, the feeling will follow. And so if you'll go serve her, you know, give her a back rub, take the kids so she can have a break, do the dishes, whatever it is you need to serve her, eventually you'll start to feel love for her again. You can lead your feelings that way. And I think that that message that we can choose to love others and that it's the most important thing I think is one of the core messages in my book. Um,
0: it's almost exactly like how the body reacts to your decisions because um, if your body moves, you go to the gym, you do the hard things. Your mind is at peace. You're meditating. You're doing the right things for your body, and then your mind is at ease. It's calm. It's peaceful. It can focus. But if you don't, if you're lazy, you just eat junk, don't do anything, you become anxious, you develop depression and all of that stuff. So um, sometimes your your body can affect your mind. Just the same. No, you're
1: exactly, Michael, you're exactly right. That's what you just said is completely genius. And then you eventually feel like it, right? Like, I remember I had this one friend, he said, I didn't actually, he goes, I started this one Spartacus workout. He said he hated it. I did it every day. I hated it, I hated it, I hated it. it." he said i hated doing it it made me so sore i could barely walk but he goes i kept doing it and then like two and a half or three weeks later he said i got to the end of this workout and for the first time instead of hating it i felt like i was just getting started i started to like it and and he also not only did he become stronger but he started to get to a point where the exercise felt good so he made it I mean, can you imagine someone saying, I'm not going to exercise until the feeling just kind of wafts by
0: 90% of people
1: (laughs) you've got. Yeah. You've got to exercise before you feel like it. And then you feel like it. You've got to love people before you feel like loving them. And then you feel like loving them. You've got to do the sales calls before you feel like doing the sales calls. And then you feel like doing them so you can lead your feelings with your actions. And that's key. It's very key. I'm super great comment. Thanks, Michael
0: well, the credit goes to Andrew Huberman. Um, he's a neurobiologist, on St- and Stanford. He also has a great podcast, and um, he always talks about it, that doing the hard things, just um, pushing yourself, like your body, to do them, and then your mind will follow because your body is like this sort of temple for your for your mind, for your soul. And if you take care of it, the soul will be great. And if, if you don't like, it, it will not heal itself. And I am the exact example of this. Um, two or two and a half years ago I was just really um, well I wasn't feeling pretty well maybe a little depression I don't know um, I felt sorry for myself I hated everything and then I just started doing the right things going to the gym every day reading books meditating and then I felt really really good and I could do different things I well, um, pushed um past my comfort zone and yeah all the great things came back came along
1: that's wonderful thanks for sharing that
0: yeah and still regarding the well, parenting and all of that right now there are a lot of kids that don't have parents don't have mothers or fathers and um, they grow up without one or two role models and this is really negatively affecting them so how do you think like what the future holds for the new generations that are sort of raised that way
1: well let me tell you two things um, first is wise man said something like this he said if we don't fix marriages and families everything we else we do will be like straightening deck chairs on the titanic and i'm going to tell you what i mean by that if if a kid doesn't learn to respect society in his own home growing up a lot of times you see major major problems later um where you see people, there's violence, there's disrespect, there's all kinds of things going on where society's crumbling and people say, well, we need more policemen or we need more government something or we need more social programs or we need more something. And the truth is, if there's not enough good parents, there will never be enough policemen, there will never be enough courts, there will never be enough social programs. Those are well intentioned, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not I'm not against the police or I'm not against courts, I'm not against something like that. but. You'll never have enough if you don't have good families. So it's super, super important. Now, for kids who've grown up and said, OK, you know I, I didn't have a good role model. Maybe their parents were checked out or, or not there. I would say, go find a good role model. I'd say, you know, if, if you if, let's say you didn't have a dad in your home that was growing up in your home, go find someone who you can look and find out what they're doing to be a good dad and learn all you can from them. And a lot of times, if you just ask, They'll let you. So find someone who is a good dad, and and find out what they're doing, find out how they're thinking, find out what they what they want to do, and then prioritize. This is what I'm saying. Is for those of you who are, or, or anybody in your audience who's listening who says, you know, um, I want to make a ton of money. There are so many people, Michael, who make a ton of money and they get to the top of that ladder and they realize. That the ladder was on the wrong wall so they made a bunch of money but their family life's in shambles the kids the children are having major issues major problems and it wasn't worth it it's not all
0: about the money it's just like, like the vanderbilt family they had a lot of money a lot of influence but their family was a mess
1: i'd rather be poor living in a dirt floor and have a good family than be rich and have my family be a mess exactly
0: and for those exams, here's, yeah. here's
1: the interesting thing though. They found when people start families, like let me give you an example. They've actually done statistics. When, when somebody gets married and starts a family, at least in the United States, the statistics I've seen, I'm not sure if, if it applies everywhere, but the people actually do better because they're fighting for this good thing. So like the people, statistically, even financially, this is the interesting thing, when people get married, they actually do better financially because they're now fighting for the whole team. You know for the for the family for the for the kids um and if you can keep your priorities straight and realize, okay my my marriage is more important than my business my children are much more important than my business my um that's the way to go
0: well this is a sort of uh, the tribe mentality this goes a little on the evolutionary psychology side of things but um you care more about the well-being of the tribe than the like you as an individual
1: say that again say that again again
0: um uh, it goes uh, like this sort of evolutionary psychology tribal mentality because you care more about the whole tribe than you as an individual
1: I think and yeah you could call it that I still think that the basic unit is a uh I personally am from the old school I think that the basic unit is the family but you're right when you're in the when you're well, in I mean the, the tribe, family, like the family yeah, like the tribe yeah okay yeah we can call that um yeah i think you care more about that than yourself yeah i mean i that's exactly right
0: yeah and when you thought said about all of the sort of police courts uh social programs um it sounds kind of like that you're treating the symptoms of the core problem
1: yeah the the other stuff is treating the symptoms rather than the roots. Like for every thousand people hacking at the leaves of a problem, you've got one hacking at the root. The root of the problem is we need good dads, good moms, good families, and then we have good societies. If you if you if you pretend like families aren't important, moms and dads aren't important, you're never going to have a society that can that can go awesome. The best societies, if you watch, if you look at the best societies throughout history, they had strong families. That's just the truth.
0: Yeah. And, right now, and I when res- those start
1: to break down, the society starts to break down, and it becomes, uh, it starts to rot, and and you, it, it'll just, it it will just that's just the way it is.
0: Exactly. And uh, I recently saw a video about the rise of sort of iPad kids. Have you heard about it? What was it again? Um, the rise of iPad kids. Have you heard about it?
1: I'm not sure. And I don't tell me that last that last word that I'm not sure I'm understanding. So iPad.
0: iPad kids. Oh, iPad kids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really disturbing because um, it happens when parents just come home from work, they are extremely tired, exhausted, they are really just want a little break from the day-to-day lives and chores, so they give their kids an iPad or an iPhone um, and the kids just start watching YouTube, TikToks and all of that and then they become addicted to the dopamine, to this sort of garbage content that's frying their brain system and um, they just behave so sort of it's horrifying honestly because you see those videos uh, that the kid holds an ipad in front of them and just scrolling and it, when the parent tries to take it from them they're just go, go feral they are screaming beating uh, i saw even the video of a kid just throwing objects at their parents it's uh, i don't know what to think about it
1: yeah and here's my here's my i'm not anti-technology but i am this if the technology isolates you instead of brings you together, then I would say, don't use it. So in other words, if I give my kid an iPad, it's now, if he's in his own world and I'm over sitting here on my phone and my own world, I'm now becoming more isolated from my kid. One of the things that's nice here on this phone call, I mean, a Zoom call, is this is connecting us. I mean, you're on the other side of the planet from me and we can still talk, which is awesome, right? So the technology is is connecting us. But um, if you can, you know, I got to tell you, and I'll just tell you, this is kind of interesting. My dad, when I was young, he actually paid us not to watch TV. He said, I don't want you on d- TV, and I'm going to pay you not to watch it. So um, it wasn't very much. I mean, it was a decent amount for a little kid. And it, I'm not sure about exchange rates and stuff. But he, he basically, when I was young, he paid us about 200 bucks a year not to watch TV. 200 bucks is a lot of money. Um, but it's but it, but it was still he was like I don't want you on screens so he kind of bribed us <laughs> to not watch TV. It was a really good thing. And my my you know my bro- I have a brother who went to Harvard. Uh, I have a sister who got a 35 on the ACT, which is really good. Lots of scholarships. It was a very very good thing. We ended up reading or learning to play chess or learning to do other things that were not um, uh, just staring at a screen. And I think really as parents. We have a right to say, look, uh, we're going to limit how much screen time we get in our house. Because as you said, it can make people into these feral monsters that you said, you know, they're going crazy because they're now addicted to the, the next whatever it is on the iPad. So I don't think we need to do that. As parents, I think go camping, I mean, go on a walk, go play a game a board game not a video game go play something that doesn't involve screens and spend time with your kids
0: yeah right now it's um right now there are really not a lot of kids playing outside anymore
1: you mean even go outside is what you're saying
0: yeah well I see some people in Poland but I've heard that in in the US it's just a little less every time they're just staying at their homes watching TikTok and and stuff
1: yeah I'm so sad yeah
0: and how right now nowadays with all the technology and sort of relief when you just give your kid an iPad and you can do whatever you want because their um, all their attention is somewhere else. How can parents become an actual role models for their kids?
1: Well they gotta do they gotta walk their talk. It's that bottom piece of the pyramid. If I'm telling my kids to get off their iPad but I'm on my iPad all day long, it doesn't work. I've gotta be able to walk my talk. So I think I think it's I think it would be healthy for, for parents to come in Take their phones, turn them off, go put them in the closet somewhere, go put them in the, in the back room, go put them wherever it is, and just be there. There's another thing: eat dinner with your kids. I mean, don't have the TV on, <laughs> don't have talk about things. They've actually done studies that families who eat dinner together, I think, are more. Um, I can't remember what the exact benefit was, but I want to say they were more solid. They were more likely to be able to have a good, happy family when they would eat dinner together. Um, it make some activities that are not screen related. Go walking. You know, one of the funnest things. Uh, go take a go take a trip together. Go camping. Um, but, you know, if if a, if a parent is on their phone all day long, they're gonna wonder why their kids don't want to be with them later on. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: You want do. your kids to be with you. Spend time with them when they're young. And. Um... The
0: dinner example i've made that
1: mistake i've made plenty of mistakes as a dad i want you to know i'm not telling you this because i'm perfect i'm telling you this because i've made
0: mistakes (laughs) yeah every family makes mistakes but well this is why we are talking about it so that at least one one individual hearing that will not make the same mistake yeah and that's my goal Uh, even though um there's not a lot of audience that i have but uh, on one of my shorts um, that I did uh, from a previous podcast, there's one comment that um, I had a Kevin Palmieri on the show. He's a coach, a speaker, and I asked him about this one piece of advice for someone that is has to go on stage tomorrow and doesn't know what to do and they're stressed out. And he just said something, and I there was this one comment that well, thank like thank you. I had a speech tomorrow and I was really nervous, so thanks for that. I was like so thrilled. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, right. One special someone okay um so are you familiar with the saying that bad times create strong men strong men create good times good times create weak men and weak men create bad times i have heard that saying yes yeah so do you agree with that
1: well i think there's a lot of truth to it I don't think it has to be true, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. Let me tell you what I mean. Um, if you can be, I think it happens a lot. That, that, that phrase, unfortunately, is true a lot of the time. The question is, does it have to be? And I, I do think that we are now, like you said, I think we're in the stage where there are good times. We have to really, um, there's, two, there's two components with this. If we say that something outside of me creates me, okay? So if I say my, my environment, it's its fault. Like it's the weather's fault or it's, it's this other person's fault or it's my wife's fault or it's my boss's fault or it's my child's fault or it's your fault or whoever's fault it is. If we say that that creates who I am, then we're not taking responsibility for our life. The truth is though true. It is true that when things get really prosperous, when people have good times, a lot of times they are weaker because it's it's kind of the thing that you said. If I have, If I'm not going to the gym and doing the hard stuff and getting strong, and I'm just sitting on a couch eating potato chips with my iPad and getting fat, I'm having a good time, but I'm getting weaker. But you could, with discipline, choose otherwise. You could say, you know what, we are having great times, and we're still going to do hard things. Like I know of one guy, this guy made millions and millions of dollars but he would not give his kids the money unless they worked for it. Not because he didn't want to. He wanted his kids to have hard times. So if he said, you know what? If you wanna come and get some help, you can paint the house, you can do some work, you can do whatever, but I'm not just gonna give you the money because what happens is, is when a parent just gives the kid the money, the kid doesn't learn to work. He doesn't learn to do anything. He doesn't learn to do those things. And so you can still, it's just a lot harder. I'll tell you this having good times is still tr- is still a challenge that you need to be really careful not to let your guard down and i think we're doing it so yeah i, I agree with it but i think it doesn't have to be that way if we're real careful but you got to work hard to be careful yeah, me too it. exactly
0: we just need to do something about it and if you have
1: good times treat everything as if you're still having bad times and do the hard work exactly. <laughs> that's uh, my opinion
0: exactly and also um listening to Andrew Huberman's podcast, he had a David Goggins on the show, and he told him, okay, there's a lot of science stuff about it, and I'm uh, not that proficient <laughs> to explain to you, I do not have a scientific background, I don't know how to call the specific regions of the brain, but I know that in our brain there is this thing somewhere that, um, well, when you, it grows when you're doing the hard thing, the thing that you do not want to do, but you're still doing it, okay? And mm-hmm. Let's say that you want, you have to go take a cold shower. You don't like it, you hate it, but you know it will be beneficial to you. You still do it, but you hate it. Okay. And when you're doing something like that, this thing grows, this specific region grows. But you, when you like something that it's still hard, but you like it, it doesn't. So you need to continuously mm-hmm. do the hard thing that you don't like to continue growing. And the studies have shown that people that live the longest have this one thing really really big and people that well don't but just keep on their sit on their couch they're lazy they do not push themselves this thing this region of the brain is really small so even the brain. science backs it up
1: <laughs> yeah that's like that's a great point you bring up and and being able to do the hard thing even when you don't want to being able like look, look at yourself right now you you i mean you're doing Going above and beyond doing this podcast, I really—I
0: think what you're doing, Michael, is a great thing. Thank you. It really is. Oh, well, I'm trying. I know that's a long way ahead of me, <laughs> so let's just start soon. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, we're bringing this one home. Um, okay, looking back at all of your diverse experiences, what is this one piece of wisdom or an insight that you wish you had earlier in your career?
1: I would still say get as much education as you can I'd say get as much education as you can it will never you'll never be sad about getting as much education as you can Um, you know I had I had good success doing sales um, from from the very first time I started doing it. lots of success but if i had to go back i would have gotten more business education at the beginning and i think that would have affected my trajectory a lot differently
0: okay and what is your one favorite quote from a historical figure or a celebrity or anyone for that matter that helped you in your life the most
1: oh goodness there's lots um you know one of the quotes i really like is from gandhi and he just says we we must become the change we wish to see in the world. I think he said something to that effect where, you know, we can complain about everything in the world, but the point is we need to become that change, whatever it is, right? So if I want to change something in the world, be that change. And that, um, I think that's some pretty profound advice.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, for me, it will be always be Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. Oh, is that, is that what it
1: is? There you yeah. go, Winston Churchill. Yeah. He also yeah. says stuff like never, 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 never give up or something like
0: that, right? Yeah, well, Churchill, he is a specific man. <laughs> but, well, he is one of the greatest prime ministers of Great Britain. And, well, he was a great leader during the times of war. So, and he has some profound wisdom. Yes. And there's uh, also this, he, yeah.
1: Thank you. Don't keep
0: going. Uh, there's also this sort of uh, trend online that when you don't know the author of the quote, well, one way or the other, it will all will be linked back to Churchill because he is this sort of historical <laughs> figure that was wise and he was a great leader. So he, that makes sense if that quote was his. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Every quote is
1: Churchill. I remember there was some quote he had too that was like there is in World War II and they were talking about. You know, they're fighting the Germans. and he, he basically said, if you want to come to our island, um, we'll fight you in the streets. We'll fight you in the fields. We'll fight. We're, we will never, never, never give up. He basically just said, good luck. <laughs> you know, if you want to come, yeah. good luck. Because it, it, we're not going to stop fighting. Um, and that kind of mentality with anything in life, which is not fighting people. Per se, I'm saying fighting to do the right thing, fighting to align with principles, fighting for a marriage to keep working, fighting for to be a good dad, to be a good parent. Uh, don't give up. Yeah, well, just keep going.
0: Fighting for the infinite game, sort of. Well, marriage what? or fighting for the infinite game. Let's say because well, marriage, friendship, the principles. It's an infinite game. You just you need to continue and not lose. That's the only objective.
1: I like how you said that okay so
0: that. yeah that's from Alex Hermosi <laughs> again crediting the, oh, the authors oh, oh. Uh, he makes also the great point this is also because um, well the Vietnamese won the war because they were not playing to win they were just playing not to lose and the Americans were playing to win this is why they failed
1: interesting this in, this is in uh this is which uh, you're saying in which which words were these again say one more time
0: um about the infinite game because during the war in vietnam the vietnamese people they were not trying to win they were just trying to survive to protect their country and not lose and the americans were trying to win and this is why they failed
1: Mm. makes sense completely i'll tell you michael you've been you've been an awesome host you ask great questions um doing a great thing with your podcast here. I hope it goes phenomenally well
0: for you. Thank you. It means a lot to you. Um, thank you for coming to the show. I love the conversation. And well, where should people go if they want to find out more about your work and what you do?
1: Uh, they could go to xfactoredge.com to spell x-f-a-c-t-o-r-e-d-g-e.com or my first name, which is kind of unique, xsane.com E-K-S-A-Y-N.com okay. well,
0: Thank you again for coming. Thank you, Michael. So, ladies and gents, that will be it from this episode. I hope I provided some value to you. If so, please share this podcast with anyone that would benefit from it. And remember that in both Spotify and Apple you can leave us up to a five-star review. This helps the show tremendously and doesn't cost you anything. Please also remember to subscribe so you do not miss any episodes when they come out. But now, I wish you an incredible rest of the week. Remember to surpass your limits and that winners are made in the darkest of times. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.